Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is With Zero Authority. I'm Corey. And I'm Will. Hey. How you doing, man? Good, good. Been, been a little bit. Been a little it has, while. It has been a little bit. Not, not much has changed, but everything has. I think there's missiles on the way from North Korea right now. You think now. so? It's little, they're in the air. It's the end of the world? Where would they... No, probably. Where would they hit? We'll see. This is the beginning. Of the end. Yeah, where do you think he's targeting first? I mean, Which part of the only... United States does he hate the most? <laughs> he could only reach... Uh... You can only reach Los Angeles. Yeah, I mean, get yeah. in anywhere from six to twenty-four months. I've seen those maps, and like I think supposedly Guam, oh, the right? heat maps, other Pacific where... territories are like within range of the the missile distance that it traveled. Yeah, well, well, let's see what he does with Guam. <sighs> like it's a fucking pawn, yeah, on a chessboard. Well, I mean, and there it, it is. There's that red E next to the podcast. <laughs> I just secured it for everybody. <laughs> He's batshit fucking crazy. So there's no like predicting. I mean, you just roll the fucking dice yeah, with amongst a, a list of options and Absolutely. pick one. Yeah, it's a nightmare. He's a lunatic. I did see one funny meme that it's like the spoiled millennial fighting the get-off-my-lawn old guy in yeah. Trump versus Kim Jong-un. So we'll see what we get. So let's talk about what's going on really okay. with North Korea. More, more serious notes. So let's go all the way back to 1945. Okay. okay. Time machine. So uh, Korea is split. Yep. North and south between the USSR and the United States. The United States and the USSR agree that they're both going to pull out and allow these countries to self-determine. Uh, except we never really do. <laughs> yeah, but if pull out means leave about 30,000 troops behind. Yeah, we never truly do. Um, they give it a few years of both uh, the South Koreans and the North Koreans trying to consolidate territorial power. And you have the Korean conflict, yep. which is really the, the cherry on top of what was the, the Truman administration. People think that it was really dropping the atomic bomb, but we often forget, because it's sandwiched between World War II and Vietnam, that a really gruesome conflict occurred on the Korean Peninsula. Right. So it starts with um, MacArthur, right, uh, with the landing at Inchon, and then he tries to go up to the Yalu, which then evokes the Chinese, and they come into the conflict, um, leading to the death of, eventually, towards the tail end of that war, 30,000 U.S. troops. Yeah, so setting the stage for what countries are going to be, you know, 30 years, 40 years later, directly and intimately kind of involved with this conflict. Yeah. so it was solved with an armistice, yep. but the war never truly ended. So North and South Korea have been at war. Uh, right. Continually. For about the last 50. I mean, a little bit more years. probably than a Cold War. I think there have been shots fired across yep. the DMZ. Absolutely. Occasionally over the, the decades. Obviously, since, um, Korean troops have been butchered by by North Korean troops. Right. Um, it's It's been a real tense 50 years. Yep. Um, and we've seen three regimes there, only three, um, really that have been of concern. Um, all in the family. Kim Il-sung, all the way to Kim Jong-un, and uh, here we are. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know Kim Jong-un's age exactly, just to <laughs> put it into perspective about how little we know. Um, and let's be clear, these kinds of things occur all the time, right, where, where we think, oh, oh, crap, we're on the precipice of nuclear war yeah. with North Korea. So there will be a lot of people saying, it's just another you know, two weeks where North Korea will be in the news, and then Lindsay Lohan will do a thing, and we'll all forget about it. 
Yeah, let's get more specific about you said here we are. Where are we? We so are that, now so you know how people used to joke about how they're months away from being years away of developing an a an ICBM that is capable of reaching uh, the mainland United States. Well, they're about only months to a year away from that. Right. Uh, they think. And they're already within range of places like Guam, which is territorially territorially the United States. And this wasn't just claims. By North Korea, that these are the capabilities. Yeah, these are missile They've been tests. launching missiles. They've been generally launching them more straight up than anything else. Yeah. And judging by the distance they've traveled vertically, uh, you've been able to kind of like mathematically Gauge. drive what's the rough range of these things. And right now, I think there's general consensus around the fact that they could hit Guam. Yeah. If they wanted to. And even if they couldn't arm these missiles with a um, a nuclear warhead. A conventional missile yeah. strike will still obliterate uh, these islands. Yeah, and they're they have uh, been on the world stage talking about their nuclear capability. So I think there is something to be said for the fact that they would maybe wait to attack until they know they have a nuclear capability. Um, there's so much bravado and propaganda around yeah. the capabilities there. But I mean, like we mentioned earlier, who knows? Yeah, maybe there's enough. Well. Going back and forth and uh, agitation coming from the White House. Yeah. So maybe they just launch it to launch it. And then let's, I mean, I guess we should just go into that because the past several administrations have really failed to, to get the North Koreans to, to come truly to the table. How much effort has been applied? In the past um, administrations, what did they do specifically? Not a not a ton. <laughs> a lot of so the United States since the early two thousands doesn't send direct aid to, to North Korea anymore. Um, we've been periodically applying more and more sanctions, more and more targeted sanctions that hit individuals within the regime. So now it's mostly luxury goods. Uh, we're cutting down their exports that are really only amounted to about three billion. That'll be about one point eight billion now. Yeah. that they're able to, to push out. But the problem is you have a massive economy directly to their west that's supporting that. Yeah. Uh, so it's not like the United States and the P5 right, are going to be able to rein in this regime because right. China, they have a support China's line held a, a very, from, from China. Yeah, they've held an individual position separate from the U.S. without much alignment beyond, yeah, we think that they need to be kind of held in check. So when... Eventually, we they were we were able to get them to agree to not agree to not uh, enrich uranium. As part of the diplomatic process, or as a this result of the e- sanctions? Years ago, this is this is way before what we're dealing with now. But instead, they just started enriching plutonium, and then they're back to enriching mm, uranium. Okay. Because why adhere to to uh, bilateral and uh, multilateral agreements? The the world stage to them is truly governed by anarchy, and to a certain extent, they may be right. Well, and they are really distinct from other nations that we've been at odds with, um, where we went to diplomatic or economic sanction measures to try and create a particular outcome. North Korea, their leadership, the propaganda state, um, they really, truly are off the deep end. Oh, yeah, no, they, they are a unique situation. This is someone, not just the current leader, but previous leaders as well, that were, you had to be genuinely worried that if they had a bad day, right, that they would do something incredibly drastic. So you have to treat them differently. The diplomatic solutions haven't worked historically at all. Well, yeah, I mean, they don't adhere to conventional diplomatic procedure, right? We don't have back 
people say, well, 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 let's just use back channels. I have casual conversations with, with um, friends and peers, and to which you have to respond. Those don't exist. I mean, this isn't right. this isn't Russia. Um, this isn't Iran. This is a very unique situation, um, and really, we cannot use again conventional diplomatic procedure to deal with this there's no such thing as regular order as it relates to deconfliction with north korea so we we have a little bit of a we're revisiting there what previous administrations have done what about this administration right this is this is in the news for reasons yeah very okay. unique to this administration yeah it, it's worth addressing it seems like there's a disconnect between what past administrations have done and what this administration or this person is is doing. Um, so usually the strategy was have stern rhetoric on North Korea, right? Be stern about it, that, that they will not accept this kind of belligerent behavior from a state. Um, the kind of bombast coming from President Trump in New Jersey this week is striking a different tone. Um, he said there, <laughs> that if North Korea does anything, there will be fire and fury and, right. you know, he'll, he'll raise hell from, from the ground. <laughs> it, it, was, it was truly terrifying yeah. to, see, to see Trump escalate the, the tension. Do you th- is this part of their strategy, or is it possible that there are two kind of different threads ongoing? There's an official administrative strategy where they're going to be much more, um, and then there's, like you were saying, and then there's the Donald, and yeah, like is there a split, or is what Trump is doing part of a unified strategy, a, a, a or? broader cohesive strategy? I don't know. No, <laughs> there, that, that you know that that's been floating uh, around like Jeffrey Lord before he got fired this week was talking about how maybe this is a part of the madman strategy, right? You, mm. you saw this with uh, with different presidents, or, or at least different military leaders. So you saw that with Patton, and then with MacArthur dropping the letters over North Korea saying that, you know, we're going to obliterate you. And yeah. then you had, you know, negotiators at the time saying, like, let's try to find out a way to, to stop this. Obviously, MacArthur wasn't interested in that. Um, but no, this is. A, I don't think this is a is this a madman strategy, right? You have the you have the uh, official White House, right? The administration going about it this way, and then have the leader trying to call the bluff uh, of of uh, the North Korean regime. I don't think that's what what this is because I don't think Donald Trump is capable of uh, of really playing any role at all, or or adhering to any sort of strategic plan. I think he just says, ad-libs, whatever comes to mind is what's going to be blurted out. And I think the White House then has to kind of craft a strategy around that. And I think this is one of those issues where that's not going to work. How has the White House been explaining his tweets and his agitating. Well, I think the tweets speak for themselves. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the president really wants to make it clear that we will not stand for for a nuclear-armed uh, North Korean regime. Now, of course, they're trying to explain them away. It doesn't really work, right? And I think the biggest disconnect is shown by uh, with what uh, 
the vice president and what Rex Tillerson have been saying. There's such a such a really a deep and palpable contrast between the things that is coming out of the mouth of the president and coming out of the mouth of the secretary of state and coming out of the mouth of the vice president. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the secretary of state is trying to reassure our allies in the region that our president's not a fucking lunatic. Right. And our vice president is going to places like Colombia and now having to say, no, I don't think we're going to invade Venezuela. But because when it comes to issues of, of national security and foreign policy that are really outlined in a militaristic sense, right, what, what we're going to do with our military, where our assets are going to be, what we're going to, to, to try to achieve, that's where you have to tread really carefully, at least in my understanding as a regular person of, of um, federal policy. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where you can't... So often we'll see, you know, bombast and bellicosity from the president, right? And that his aides and his cabinet try to craft uh, a policy around that. You see... Um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders come out and try to kind of spin. It's it's weird. You're used to rhetoric from every angle being spun, but you're not used to the press secretary trying to shift what the president is trying to say. Right, because usually those two things are very unified. The yes. messaging from the press secretary is a result of a strategy being built but, in coordinated with the president. And, and you hear from Sarah Huckabee Sanders, well, I haven't spoken to the president about right, Well, I right. haven't spoken to the... Have she, has she even been in the Oval Office? <laughs> I don't. I can't imagine that Trump is leading the White House in any way that's different than the way he's led his companies, which yeah. is... Well, I, I mean, his companies mustn't have done very well if he's leading his companies based on what he sees on television. Uh, I, I, think, mean, I, I think, think it's a little. Saw on I think it's a little different now. I think now it's 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 this self fulfilling prophecy where ideas and concepts are projected to him from right wing media, from cable news, and then that's reflected out in this White House. Yeah, I don't think the business points in his life like the media really had anything to say that was influential in, in the context and the situations and the deals well, he was making, he was so he media. didn't care. Because he was media And they're just two different worlds, right? They're totally disconnected. When you're the president, like everything revolves around the press, how you're being reported, what you're messaging. And so he cares about watching and paying attention now because his ego's at stake. Those are the people that are talking about him. Yeah, um, yeah. So... It seems like, right, we get more and more confirmation of this, that there's a the White House, there's a, there's a deep divide between Trump the person and Trump the president and, and all the, the agencies and departments that keep the government running from day to day. And they yeah. just are stuck in this position where they have to react yeah. to what Trump has done today. What do you? What is that going to do specifically to this situation? So traditionally, if you had a North Korea that was threatening to attack the United States, well, you have I a don't, coordinated campaign. The, the, the good news is I don't think Fox News is fixing to die just yet. <laughs> I, I don't think they're ready to to send young men and women off to, but, all right, to so let's, Seoul. Let's ignore Fox News for the moment and let's dip into the kind of acknowledge reality now yeah, that okay. Trump is influenced in social media by all sorts of non-mainstream Twitter bots accounts, and... whether it be Twitter bots, whether it be 
Russian Twitter accounts that are pushing particular whether messages. Whether it be 4chan whether it be, boys making yeah, multiple black conservatives. Whatever meme pops up at, a, at any given time on his feed. Yeah. Right? So we don't have to like, oh, well, we can be confident that Fox News isn't ready to die yet. And they're the greatest influencer of Trump. Yeah, I don't it's think, more than that. I don't think that uh, that... I don't think that that sphere of influence is going to have a significant impact on the cognitive process of President Trump right now. I mean, I, at least I in, don't know. in this situation, I think really it's just him. At least this is what it looks like. It just is him being asked random questions by the press, and him just wanting to look tough. I think this is him proving that he's. One of those typical war hawks that has never been in uniform, right? Those people that like to surround themselves with generals and veterans sure, sure. Um, and war hawks because it makes them feel tough. So we get this tough bombast, this this half-assed tough talk from the president. And I don't think it's anything more than that. But, but more significant than, than that issue is... The issue that it seems like we might have two White Houses at once, right? We have Trump saying X, and then the entire cabinet and staff saying Y. That the Trump is look that the, the the Trump, the Don <laughs> is looking for um, is looking for a peaceful resolution to this issue, is is really pressing the Chinese and the South Koreans and the Japanese to look for. Um, a path to deconfliction to ensure that there's peace in the so, region and all the. I mean, that's war. great. Like that's the messaging they're going to put out. Like, and practical matters in the real world. We're talking about actual consequences. Is he going to be able to say pull the trigger and it doesn't matter? They're just going to have to pull the trigger because he said so. Yeah, that's one of my concerns. Is that this is going to break down the the chain of command over the next few presidencies if we continue to have moronic uh, media produced figureheads as president of the United States, eventually we will lose respect for the office entirely and it will become irrelevant and we'll live in truly a republic where decisions are made by the House and Senate. And not to say that that's really... Yeah, it feels like the UK. Yeah, it's not a far off concept, but the idea that there is centralized power and that the buck stops somewhere is an essential part of at least our constitutional republic. And if that breaks apart, then we live in uh, a parliamentary society. Is that the end of the world? Maybe not, but it would be a real damn shame <laughs> sure. that we lost the presidency to a handful of egomaniacal morons. And um, I think it started with Richard Nixon, who was an effective leader, who wasn't the worst human being now to hold the White House. Um, There's a huge gap between Nixon and Trump, though. Yeah. The person that sits in the White House in those two situations. And what you're saying is looking ahead, you know, three, three and a half years. Um, it, we've been proven that we can't predict the future. Trump's yeah. in office. It could be that once uh, he comes up for re-election, we've, we've got a sour enough taste in our mouth that we put a, a real politician back into the White House. I don't, the other way, I don't know. I, but I don't think that I don't think that we have gotten to that point where we're capable of 
broad societal introspection and saying maybe somebody who knows what they're doing should be there. I don't even think it needs. I, I mean, there's think, such a stark difference the, between the, who Trump is and who a traditional presidential candidate is. I don't know that we need deep introspection. Yeah. I think it's pretty easy to say Trump was radically different. It's a basic question. Of, did yeah. we and like think, the radical difference And I difference think as, as interesting as this conversation is, it's probably a discussion for another episode. Sure. As it relates to, to North Korea. And the point I was going to make is that if we had this election now, we'd still be voting for personalities. I, I still think we as an electorate are still swayed by the ability to have somebody with moxie and bravado. Yeah, that's always been part of March their sure. way to the White House. And speaking of moxie and bravado, this because we do live in a country where the our our foreign policy and the, the use of our military really comes down to the decision of the commander-in-chief. It's going to come down to two people, Kim and Trump. Now, as I stated, we don't know much about Kim. We know that he has killed his uncle, and mm-hmm. all indicators say that even though this was the man that helped him ensure that his power was consolidated and controlled— that he wasn't enthusiastic enough about his leadership when the waves of clapping would occur. Sure. That he was killed in what can only be amounted to a brutal way. Uh, Kim Jong-un has killed... I mean, there aren't political dissidents in, in North Korea. Has killed members of his own family, uh, close, close advisors uh, to him just for the slightest reason. So it's not comparable to Trump because we don't live in a society where that's the the means by which Trump can lead, right? But we do have a comparable man in the White House in that it's somebody who is obsessed with ensuring that he is the most powerful man in the room. Right, right. right. Now, the difference is vast <laughs> i don't think that trump would have individuals within the white house blown up by artillery in stadiums right right but it is an issue and a question of with two eagles like this going at each other which one's going to be the first to follow Blow up the talk with action is and it trump preemptively going out and attacking north korean missile sites or is it kim jong-un actually firing a missile and that's territory? the the really the the most important distinction when it comes to this administration or this president uh, versus all the, the past, let's say four, because this has really been a problem for the last four, um, is that when North Korea would provoke South Korea, we would see a stern response from the United States, but we wouldn't see an escalation. The rhetoric coming from the president's mouth is purely going is just a pure escalation of the tension on the region which is irresponsible for a multitude of reasons one it puts all of our allies in danger because while north korea can't hit the continental united states they can very easily fuck with south korea in in ways that are japan yeah yeah and the real concern i mean i i know that guam everybody's talking about oh what if guam gets the real concern is what if seoul is hit with artillery because at the end of the day, while talking about nukes is really sexy, 
when it when it comes to to media reporting, the biggest issue is all of the artillery pieces that are pointed at Seoul that will lead to the death of probably two hundred fifty thousand people. I mean, it will be a barrage that hasn't been seen since like the Battle of the Somme, <laughs> when you could feel tremors in England because of the amount of bombardment that was going on in France. Yeah. So, I, I think what's going on in the White House is is just it's beyond irresponsible and it proves once again that they have no idea what they're doing there is nobody in that white house except for the generals who seem to have any idea what they're dealing with and to a certain extent rex tillerson and i will not say nikki haley i will never (laughs) compliment nikki haley well what they're doing is resonating with their base right what they're doing is is following up on their promise to be the the type of president that would be the alpha male, that would make America strong, that would project American strength. You know, and that's okay when you're arguing over, like, some cement wall with uh, a, you know... Well, I mean, I guess just your, your your statement that they don't know what they're doing. I think they do. I think the problem is that their goals and the things that are guiding yeah, them are Yeah, their, their priorities terribly, are skewed. Yeah, incredibly. Absolutely. Like, Trump, it's an eternal campaign. It's an eternal going to rallies. Yeah. It's an eternal... They they truck Here's him why out you to love these. Me. I'm gonna give you some more of it. They bring him out to these rallies whenever he gets sad. Uh, when he gets really sad, they bring him <laughs> out to these rallies so that he can be around people who approve of him, which is it's pathetic. Uh, and it's I, I, I grow tired every single day of this. Did, did you see the video when he was golfing and the the bride the party, wedding bridesmaid party showed up? That's all you need to see. I'm rolling my exactly. eyes for for those uh, who. Uh, the insecurity, the ego. Anyways, we know what we have in Trump. Unfortunately, he just proves it over and over again. Kim, we know a little bit about, but there's a lot still there. Not understood. Yeah, It's pretty safe to say um, he's as close to a maniacal, crazy dictator as you'll get, and he's just following in the family line. And so line. far, Trump is the closest thing we've got yeah. to, to, to that as well. So theoretically, North Korea launches a missile at Guam. North Korea launches a, a missile at Japan. We have missile defense systems in place, both seaborne and airborne and landborne. They're pretty effective, but they're not. The numbers aren't that encouraging, and there haven't been a lot of tests. It really floats be, at around 50%. To be 50%. fair, the, the, only, the only real like physical, at least that I know about, uh, of, that, of these missile defense systems working is Israel, and to be fair, they're not being attacked with extraordinarily complex technology. Well, and in the first Iraq war, when we had the Patriot missiles deployed, initial right reporting was that you know on 43 uh, missile strikes from Iraq, we knocked down, we shot down 41 of them with Patriot missiles, but then as the weeks went by, that number dwindled and dwindled and dwindled, and eventually, on record, there was less than like a 20% success rate. Oh, geez. So the American public, I think, has a... Misconception. Incorrect. Yeah. Understanding. Well, I've learned well something now because I, I I thought that Iron Dome and uh, and Patriot missiles were extraordinarily effective. I mean, it's been decades since then. Maybe they've improved. But what I read more recently, uh, there was about tests, right? Because the military, U.S. military practices and practices and practices over and over again, even in the last five years, they're yeah. roughly 50-50 shot of it working. And also, if the, from a historical perspective, military technology does change over time, but it's a lot slower than like consumer technology. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you look at photos of World War II, the war in Europe doesn't look too much different from the war in Korea or the war in Vietnam. It's, it takes time for, yep. for these things to change. Yeah, they move a lot more slowly, slowly than we would like them to. Okay, so let's move on to the next 
That's a seamless transition. Let's transition uh, to the next section. So we were talking about kind of the chaos in the White House and how there there are some people in the White House that are trying to clean up after this president and try to make it seem like everything is okay, like shoveling garbage under the rug and trying to say that, well, you know, Everything's good here. Nothing to see. We're fine. Um, but there's also a bit of an internal war at the White House. And, of course, this has been the subject of a lot of reporting because the summer's relatively slow when it relates to, to Congress, other than the fact that Congress is still technically in session just to prevent a recess appointment from Trump to protect yeah. Jeff Sessions' job, which we'll talk about <laughs> some other time. Um, there has been a ton of reporting on uh, – things going on in the White House as it relates to, uh, to to tensions there between the staff. Now, we've always known that there has been this battle between the Priebus wing and the Bannon wing. And guess what? <laughs> Priebus, Priebus lost. lost. Yep. He, he lost this battle. Um, and Bannon has, has just subsisted and endured. Yeah. Like um, a cancer. In, in a, <laughs> in a uh, like a rash. Yeah. In um, <laughs> That's more appropriate. And um, this White House is in a White House that where there's just there's just been a shit ton of turnover. Yeah, Um, and he has always been there, so it's kind of changing. The landscape is changing, and people are saying, "Well, now that John Kelly is in as the chief of staff, there is going to be a a a distinguishable." Change. Have we ever had a general as chief of staff before? Uh, have we? Omar Bradley? No. It's no, the weirdest. He he's no. got this fascination with generals. You know what? It could be that, but it also could be that they're the only people that are capable of doing anything. And that's that's a shame. Well, you know what else it is? They're incredibly loyal. Yeah. If you want loyalty, well, loyal going to the, to the military. Well, they're also loyal to the commander-in-chief by the oath they took. Yeah, but I don't think they're loyal to him because he's him. I think they're loyal to him because he is the president. No, exactly. And, and I, I, it's commendable, but it's also... it's. I mean, that's core to the oath you take when you enlist. Of course. Uh, but it's still... This should be a civilian-led... <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I, I agree. And this is why I worry about what happens... When we put a general in as chief of staff, yeah. no more or probably very little independent critical thought there, checking the president. That's someone who's a general is very so, accustomed to the yes, sir. We thought, oh boy, generals in the White House. But I think a lot of people are glazing over the fact that right wing media is not necessarily a fan of these guys. And that's because they're conventional Republicans. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not, they're a part of the establishment. So H.R. McMaster comes in. After, uh, you know what? It's H.R. McMaster comes in after the former head of national intelligence, who we all love, um, is booted out, Michael Flynn, along with a couple of the people he brought in. Now, Michael Flynn is not like the rest of the military establishment, to my understanding. He is a little bit more... Reddity, Twittery, he's he's he has that wafting scent of a white nationalist that, that you hear the the, with the buzzwords like globalist, uh, bankers, right, uh, Islamists, right, 
just say, I mean, he's like one word away from saying globalist Jewish cuck. Right. He, he should just say it. Um, but H.R. McMaster comes in and kind of cleans up, cleans up the, uh, the national intelligence, the NSC, right. the National Security, national Security Council. Council. And gets rid of a, a crud load of people. And uh, a memo got leaked this week from inside the White House, from the old guard, the NSC, um, the people that were fired by H.R. McMaster. And this memo was authored by a guy named Rich Higgins, who was a hire from uh, Michael Flynn, from the Michael Flynn era, and was fired by, um, by H.R. McMaster when he came in. To try to clean so this memo up. was circulating before McMaster came in. Yep, and it was just leaked. This wasn't a response to McMaster. And I'm going to read a piece from f- Foreign Policy, which is just interpreting the memo. Okay. And these are mostly are word to by word uh, interpretation. The memo is also leaked on that same yeah. page, but it's written by like a thirty-something-year-old sure, sure uh, right-wing guy. So it's not really that uh, that articulate. Well, and for- Foreign Policy is a decent enough outlet yeah. that. So we're just going to read directly from it. Trump is being attacked, the memo says, because he represents a threat to cultural Marxist memes that dominate the prevailing cultural narrative. And that's a direct quote. That's a direct quote, the uh, the Marxist cultural memes. Uh, Those threatened by Trump include deep state actors. That's a direct quote. Actors, (laughs) bankers, Islamists, and establishment Republicans. That's all a direct quote from the memo. What, so, what does it mean by deep state? Deep actors? state actors. So those are now. This always happens, but there are always people that are holdovers from the last entrenched in government. Yeah, but they're not political actors. They're government workers right. who should be treated with respect because they don't toy around in the political uh, the political yeah. bullshit that is United States politics. Right. They deal with the United States as it relates to where we stand on the global stage. There's a disconnect now in politics between what these people in the bureaucracy do and what, I don't know, Louis Gohmert says when he's out on the campaign trail. There are, the United States is a functioning system within a geopolitical system that is probably defined by a neoliberal understanding that the world is really defined by clusters of mutually agreed upon rules, right? Uh, that we are a state actor in on the global stage. We are not right. just the United States, and we don't dictate what happens around the world. There are people who work sure. for this government to ensure that we still have diplomatic ties around the world. Yeah, it's like when a company switches out CEOs or some other... C-level, exact. The person that's been running HR for 20 years is probably going to stay around. So, yeah. Just because they know the inner workings so of the company. So, the, the, the deep state is just an extension of a Bannon term that is the administrative state. Okay. That's and right. the Bannonites, who are these 4chan guys, they're on Reddit, they make memes, they, they do nothing, really. They're anti-establishment Republicans. Right, because right, they right. believe that they are holdovers who are trying to attack Trump and bring him down. They're trying to save the world from Trump. And, you know, that's some 
Freudian projection you got going on there. <laughs> if you think that everyone is afraid, because maybe you're rightfully assuming that. Um, so, what what are the practical consequences then of a memo like this? It just proves that the culture there. There's a split between the establishment, the establishment Republicans, and these. There's a deep divide. This cancerous. Yeah message board bullshit that has somehow made its way into the White House. I mean everyone uses like no, everyone uses message boards. Did you ever did you ever it's think more about that the like word the that the word meme would make it into a White House memo? A fit an official <laughs> letterhead White House memo? No. And that's absurd. I mean, it's that, that, and the, it's co- it's a you, common use over but, the last but within, five to 10 But years. within the White House Within the White House to get I mean, this what? kind of rhetoric? I mean, I'm sorry. Like the, they were talking about memes in Obama's administration. I'm sure. Sure, but official memos. But in that, but maybe in that not. way of well, how do you connect with the millennials? This is a serious memo discussing that 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 there is an existential threat to the White House that is emanating from cultural Marxist memes. Yeah, like cultural Marxism is more interesting to me than the use of the word meme. Deep state actors is more interesting to me. Like, meme, yeah, what, whatever. And let's talk about what cultural Marxism is, because right. let's talk about where that floats around. That floats around in far right wing. I think it gets abused, just like the word socialism gets. Like, people don't understand the implications of what they're they're accusing. But let's talk about who uses the terms cultural Marxism, oh, okay. globalist. Sure. Banker, which groups is that a so part of their So it's all it's all the far, far, far right wing. Like you got to go to the Alex Jones side That's right. That's of, of, yeah. of of the Republican Party. I'm just, I'm just, Alex Jones is a part of the Republican Party now, in the way that Rush Limbaugh Depends wasn't. On who you're talking to to define the Republican Party, but yeah, I mean, you got to own that shit in the same way that Antifa could be associated with a part of the liberal movement. Yeah, I mean it's splitting hairs at this point as far as like Oh yeah, there's no who way belongs that, to which there's party no way that these coalitions yada, yada, yada. are gonna remain a you know, two consolidated political parties. There's no. just it's just not gonna happen. They're but headed in but back directions. to but the fact that this is in the White House is deeply concerning that we have people who who get ideas from Reddit who are on the National Security Council. Like these are the and let's connect it back to North Korea. These are the people that are dealing with these existential threats like North Korea and Iran. Yeah. And now, thankfully, he's been tossed out by H.R. McMaster like the yeah. Thursday afternoon trash. But so the question for me would be a follow-up to like how much of the, the council and that old guard is McMaster getting rid of? Like if he's coming in and saying, I'm going to... You know, captain the ship, and I'm going to get rid of normalize this. I'm going to make sure that. Yeah, I mean, because Bannon's still there, right? You can imagine that Bannon yeah, is going to stick top around. Bannon's going to stick around, and that's my concern. So as soon as H.R. McMaster comes in, Breitbart, uh, Red State, a lot of these um, right-wing media outlets start posting negative articles about H.R. McMaster. Yeah. Um, and they're leaving. Uh, Mattis alone for the time being because he's just dealing with reorganizing Afghanistan, which we can, I'm sure you have a, a whole diatribe to provide. <laughs> that. Um, but they're targeting H.R. McMaster because he's a threat to the nationalist elements within the White House. Um, and I, I can't help but think that maybe Steve Bannon has something to do with it. 
Um, because there's no way you leave as the head of Breitbart and don't have any influence on the content that's posted there. Oh, of course. I think that there is some protectionism within Breitbart that want to ensure that Steve Bannon's still there to maintain the access that they have. I mean, that's no different than any publication. I mean, all of these media outlets have their relationships with the founding members. Yeah, in the same way that... That's that's uh, to be expected. That if you remember the whole Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski thing where Trump was essentially blackmailing... Right, right. Blackmailing Mika Brzezinski and Joe Scarborough (laughs) over... You know, how he'd post a mean National right. Enquirer story. So everybody has their connections. Now, we could go on a whole other thing about how it's wildly inappropriate and maybe unconstitutional for the president to do what he did to two friggin' cable news hosts. Yeah. Man, I'm all over the place with my, uh, with my, uh, my <laughs> cursing okay. today. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Uh, it's, it's this coffee. It's really good coffee. It's good for you. It's good It's, good it's getting you going. Um, well, let's, let's talk about, let's dial, so in this context of McMaster coming in and let's say generally this is viewed as a good thing, we have to then consider, knowing how many people Trump has fired, yeah. How long does he last? <laughs> what is it that's going to pose a threat to him so being fired? So this will be, be Bannon's biggest battle. But that's my question. Far. So here's my question. Trump firing people, the impetus and the catalyst for those events. And there's been many, many of them so far. What percentage of those are just originated from Trump and seeing a lack of loyalty and getting rid of him because he wants a loyalty? So yeah, I mean, this is people having his ear. I, I, you know, I feel like every time I step inside Trump's mind, I acquire a small a piece of early onset dementia. <laughs> um, but outside of that, if I actually try to think as him or for him, <laughs> um, I notice that he'll be in quite the conundrum if it comes down to choosing between Bannon. And uh, this will be a quagmire for him if he has to choose between Bannon and McMaster. Yeah, it's so hard because, to know. Because while Trump owes his success to Bannon and to that wing of, uh, of American politics, it's also a crucial element of his popularity that he pals around with these general types, that he's strong, that he's tough. And firing Mike Flynn, who was just part of the D- he was just the DNI right. for a while under Obama who was fired and you know he was disgraced essentially and then brought back and disgraced again. Right. <laughs> um, firing him was not like firing a guy that has you know several stars on his sleeve. It's going to be a whole nother thing if he gets rid of him. So I think this is Bannon's biggest threat. Firing you know Priebus, a guy who could barely you know uh, handle himself on Meet the Press without sweating bullets. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, there were like Debbie Washerman Schultz had the same problem. Uh, she was a little, I mean, a little less so. She was a little bit better with dealing with the media than Priebus. But uh, you know, these ten, they're they're more expendable. I think, uh, yeah, I think you'd read Priebus. They're more expendable. Is, is a lot simpler. Spicer is expendable. The Mooch yeah. is expendable. Yep. But firing HR McMaster, whew, no, that that'll be a hard that'll be a hard sell. That'll be a hard sell. So I think this is Bannon's biggest threat and biggest opponent. But I still feel like Bannon is in the first ring. Oh, if I had to, if I had to bet on who would win this uh, bar fight, I'm going to go with Bannon because Bannon has survived every single Trump staff turnover. Let's think about it. It's we're what 200 days in, maybe about a little more. Yeah. Um, 
And this administration looks nothing like it did when we first got there, which is remarkable, right? Uh, it's makeup, yeah. It still looks as batshit fucking crazy and disorganized. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, the it's just, I mean, the 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 style is still the same. We still have the same horrifying day to day shenanigans. Yeah. Um, but Bannon has survived. He has endured. Um, what, and the, I think he will continue to do so. One of the things that gives me hope in regard to the because, North Korea situation, if you remember all the, the, the big moxie, the big talk about the wall, you know, between the United States and Mexico, as soon as he flies down there, you know, it's a, it's a Trump that oh, wants to make a new out. best friend. Yeah. Right. So we well, have no, evidence of a lot of big talk. Because he's the guy no that, uh, that will sit in the lunchroom and say, yo, if Billy shows his face in this room, I'm going to punch him. <laughs> and then Billy comes in like, hi, Bill. How you doing? Yeah. Like, he's he is... Where's the bride? Where's the Show me the bride. Yeah, he's at his court kind of a coward. He's, he's got this huge need to be liked and loved. Yeah, and, and that's and the thing. He's such an empty, empty person. Uh, he won't want to be liked and loved by the leader of North Korea because he's fundamentally been insulted by him. But he wants to be liked and loved by those that put him in place because they think he's yeah. an American so, badass. So I don't want to compare Kim Jong-un to Hillary Clinton. But in the context <laughs> in the context of Trump, Kim Jong-un is, is, as much an, uh, is as much a problem to Trump as Hillary Clinton was. Because Korea, the Korean situation between North and South Korea has the possibility of humiliating Donald Trump. If Donald Trump yeah. lost to Hillary Clinton, he would have been humiliated. If Trump ends up having to fold to North Korea, a banana republic with nuclear weapons, that'll be a humiliation that he'll never live down, that will sit, that will be a stain on the fabric of the United States that will just read Trump. Because it will, there will be no one else to blame. But I wonder what the bowing down is what that act is because at some point there has to be uh one of the two calls each other's bluff if it's kim jong-un calling the bluff of donald trump it's a humiliation for the united states but what does that calling of the bluff look like he fires a missile and it succeeds we're not able to shoot it down i mean at this point they're at the stage it's of this another going back it's another it's another it's, missile test where they gauge the actual distance and it's the creation of a nuclear armed arsenal. I mean, I do think it's been surprising that we haven't seen the United States attempt to shoot down one of these missiles. I guarantee you they know when they're happening. They know when they're scheduled. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's surprising to see that we haven't shown, especially if you talk about the ones that were shot at or near Japan and yeah. landed off the coast. Yeah. Why we haven't demonstrated an ability to take those missiles down is, is kind of surprising. Well, because it would be a, a certain – it would be an escalation because they have a missile in the air and now we have a missile in the air. I don't know, though. It's, it's just a purely defensive play, right? You, North Korea, put a missile in the air that could have hit one of our allies in case of – But you also launches. say that the, the anti-missile defense technology I, is and that's why. shoddy. So my question is imagine if we attempted to intercept that missile yep. and missed. I think that's why it doesn't happen. So I think we we cautiously gauge where that missile will land, and then we probably decide no. Yeah. 
Yeah, there will be a window there from launch to trajectory to determine what the likely. And when it relates to North Korea, I want to make one last point. What are the chances that this is all, and this is just pure cynicism, this is all you? bluster from, cynic? from the president to shift focus away from a small investigation that Robert Mueller is spearheading? I, I mean, I think it's... It's a hard one to answer. My first response would be, of course, that's what it is. Or at least, at the very least, that's a, they are that's, amplifying that's a, something that yeah. came along to help distract yeah, from. Yeah, and I don't think it's Trump necessarily doing it. I think the Trump administration is capitalizing on this because I don't think Trump is capable of any sort of well, long-term yeah. strategy, which is why I don't think he's capable of playing the, the, the madman card, right? Yeah. The the The... The MacArthur to the Truman sort of deal. Yeah, and the question um, would be, did the administration decide to send these tweets out specifically to agitate the situation and make it a bigger story? Yeah. Right, because North Korea attempting to develop nuclear missile is old news. Yeah. Right, but this going back and forth uh, was all started by Trump. Yeah. Uh, and he keeps you know slinging and slinging and slinging. So we'll see. I do think, though, with Mueller and the, the quote-unquote all-star cast of lawyers that he's put in place to investigate oh, if the, these. If this were a law firm, it'd be the best law firm in American history. Yeah, he won't slow down and for any reason. I and guess, once like something substantial comes out of that, I mean, the news will not just because, skip yeah, it in favor of Because we have in favor of nukes. Um, because we have like a couple minutes left, I just want to touch on Russia again. Sure. Just so that it's on record for our archived little thing that we're doing here. Um <laughs> This week, Paul Manafort spoke in front of a closed session, spoke in a closed session to the Intel Committee. Former campaign advisor. Yeah, to Donald Trump. Trump. And then the next day, his house was raided by the FBI. Now, let's not read into anything that he spoke at the, in front of the, the session of the Intel Committee. And then his house was raided, right? Because they had to acquire a subpoena. This, would probably t- this probably took about oh, a month. Yeah, so, it starts weeks and weeks so, the FBI has raided Paul Manafort's house. Now, there are ways to acquire documents that don't include FBI agents in gray and blue coats storming into your house. You can subpoena documents. And I, and I really wish this was discussed more on at least the, the networks that I watch because I'm a liberal, so I watch MSNBC and <laughs> CNN, primarily MSNBC because CNN kind of sucks. Um, it's just boring. <laughs> um, <laughs> not enough thick rim glasses and. Uh, all right, all right. <laughs> but I really wish this was discussed more. <laughs> the, the fact that they didn't go the route of subpoenaing information, which means. What's that, your theory on why? Oh, I think it's because they're. I mean, it's a two pronged approach. One, they don't trust. Yeah. That they'll get all of the information, yeah. and then two. They want to send a message to everybody who might be a subject of this investigation, not necessarily a target, but a person of interest in the investigation, that we will stop at no point to acquire everything that we can. And you know what? It's not stopping at collusion because that's not how this works. Now, this isn't going to be a wild goose chase. I think Mueller's making that relatively clear because he's not taking the Ken Starr route and just trying to find any criminal wrongdoing because it would be very easy to do that if you looked into Jared Kushner's finances. (laughs) Um, 
very easy. Um, this is going to be a snake that is going to spread its roots all throughout the the Trump personnel apparatus. Um, and I think Mueller's sending a message, and I think he's not going to trust anybody that's involved in this because they lied for two years. Yeah, I mean, there's some potential backfire scenarios to sending a message like that if that was part of his intention and that if there are other people who have documents or things you would want to go after with a warrant, um, showing that your first option is you're going to kick down doors and go pull them before someone can get rid of them. Well, first of all, anyone that still has stuff is going to get rid of it. Now, it's very possible because Mike Flynn has been adhering to the advice of his lawyers and cooperating directly with law enforcement that they're that they have had individuals cooperate with them i think this might be if you don't come to us and cooperate this is the route we're willing to take yeah i mean i wonder it would be interesting to ask him whether or not he feels like he's gone through enough of the lower level people you won't hear that until that, until we get the Mueller. well report. i know but that's that's an interesting question and that will be published the Mueller report i'm yeah. sure like the ken star report yeah, it'll be interesting as those details emerge. I would imagine potentially that this is him kind of signaling, not intentionally, but you could take away from this, um, that they're, they have a lot of evidence that's strong and backing the charges that they're going to be pursuing. Yeah. Um, because when you do this, I mean, to those that may still have stuff that's worth getting, this is a trigger for them to just get rid of it. Yeah. Right, and that's, I think that's part of the reason why they didn't just subpoena it. They went to the House because they know if they send the document that says give this to us, I mean, this is a guy who's proven that he'll just do whatever he needs to to he'll give clear you, his case, he'll give back you, up his case. I, I think he'd give enough to spark a little bit of intrigue for the investigators, but not enough to... to uh, yeah, he's a man without ethics. Yeah. I mean, it purely exists and in the pursuit what, of and money. And that's what you and see power. among like the political operative class often. These people work for tyrants and dictators and... It's the painful reality of the world we live in. Well, and it's a common misconception, the idea that people at those levels of, I don't know, influence must have gotten there because they had a better quality of character or they were the more... No, oftentimes it's just incidental due to their circumstances and the people they know and the fact that they may have been born into money or, or other other opportunities. What a painful, painful way to close out this episode. <laughs> well, unfortunately... I'm trying to think off the top of my head any good news we could close with, but it's been one of those weeks. It's been one of those weeks. That being said, though, it gets us a lot of uh, motivation opportunity to do an episode next week. More follow-up. See where this goes. Should. Let's do it. And uh, we're back on the horse. All righty. All right. Great to see you again. Thanks for listening, everybody. It's been With Zero Authority. We'll see you next time.